Today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about Tesla's full self-driving version 9 beta with a special guest, Elon living in a modular box, Richard Branson becoming an astronaut, and the Tesla solar roof versus hail and more. And as usual, I'm joined by Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? I'm good, Matt. You know you do a good job of reading the uh, the intro cards when even I was like, what? Elon in a box? Let's... <laughs> I'm 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 queued up and ready to watch. So yes, uh, it's been a good week, uh, Matt. What was your video this week, by the way? Uh, this week I did a video on uh, liquid metal batteries, which is a topic you covered recently too. Um, such a fascinating technology and has so much potential for grid scale energy storage. And it's kind of trippy. Something that's 400 degrees Celsius that's storing energy is really neat. Absolutely, yeah. Really great video. If anybody hasn't watched it yet, I think it could be pretty promising. Of all the ones that we talk about, that feel pie in the sky. That one. Might be closer than some of the other ones. Um, my video this week was on NASA's insane plan on how they plan to stop a super volcano. And everybody probably in the U.S. knows Yellowstone was our first national national park. But did you know there's a huge, huge super volcano living underneath? So this is about their plan. And, and the cool thing is it both could potentially stop a super volcano or cause it to erupt. Who knows? <laughs> and also produce electricity. So it's kind of a cool, kind of a cool story. And uh, we have links to both of those videos in the description. Very, very cool. Can't, I haven't watched it yet. I can't wait to watch it. All right. So for the first story this week, which is kind of the big news is Tesla finally releases the full self-driving beta version nine. And we actually have a special guest this week. He's not live with us, but uh, we talked to Tesla Raj, if you know any of if you know about him. And if you don't, make sure you subscribe to his channel. Uh, we can include a link in the description too but he uh, was generous enough to kind of walk us through some of it. Hey, Ricky. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Sorry I couldn't be there live with you guys, but I will gladly chime in here and share with you guys all about FSD version 9, this mind of the car, this all vision-based update that Tesla pushed out to its limited beta FSD um, users. So let's start with the release notes. So here you'll see on the screen, here's the release notes. There are two big improvements here. Number one is the driving visualization improvements. Now, if you've seen the videos previously, we did not have cars. Um, a lot of that was rendered as square boxes on the previous version. And now you'll see um, that it's what I like to call a dream state. So what you'll see is you'll see vehicles that are rendered. Um, you're also still able to move around and see things in real time. What I thought was really fascinating was how many vehicles that this could render. And what's crazy is that this is all based on vision. There's no radar being used here. The other things that uh, that this is showing now is now you can see the vehicle interpreting depth. So what you'll see here is the red lines being drawn outside of the dark shaded areas. Those are areas that the car cannot go. You'll see I'm right now near a driveway entrance right there and you can see that it shows that it can go there and you can see it's kind of a little bit darker shade but it's interpreting this is all being done in real time medians are identified as yellow as spas passing spaces you'll see some other colors as well to identify do not enter spaces and so forth so this visualizer shows a lot more and really allows you to see what the vehicle's interpreting where it can go, where it can't go, and what the decision it's going to make. This is what I just realized, and I think this is really cool, and I'll show you that on a brief drive here. The second thing is, is the cabin camera. So previously, um, Tesla was monitoring you by how many times you touched the steering wheel while driving. It went by a weight being presented on the steering wheel. But now what it's saying is it's leveraging this camera, which is located right up 
there above the rear view mirror. And that camera is going to monitor the driver attentiveness and awareness and uh, gauge accordingly uh, and then present a nag. Now, uh, if you're that includes if you're looking down at your phone or you're looking away, that camera wants to make sure you're looking forward or around and being present. So I haven't seen too much of this being implemented, but it seems like a minor implementation. I haven't done any physical um, timed test to see if it's more on the nag movement or more on the camera movement up above. So I, the first thing about that is I love the UI that Tesla's coming up with about how they show the fuzziness factor of what the car is understanding going on. So you have those like clear red lines to fuzzy red lines. So it gives you a good sense as to like what the car is truly understanding and what's going on. And then the second part was I'm very happy that they're finally taking advantage of that camera because just relying on the steering wheel alone is not a great system. Just over the 4th of July, I was driving my nephew back to New York City from his visit. And on the way, it's like I, the car was driving itself at one point, And I told him it was the first time he's ever been on a road trip with me in the car. And I told him, like, the car's driving itself. He was like, no, it's not. No, it's not. And he's like, but what? You're holding the steering wheel. I was like, well, I have to hold the steering wheel because this is the only way the car knows that I'm still paying attention. And so I actually talked to him about that camera, how at some point, hopefully it will, it will take advantage of that. And it's really cool to see that it is now. What, what was your, what's your take on this so far? Think about how far ahead they've been planning this, like all the way back to like, let's say the Model 3, um, 2016, 2017, they're planning the Model 3. They had this idea for all these cameras, we're gonna have long, medium range in the front and the side and these angles. We're gonna have this camera up here, which does nothing today, we'll figure it out later. You got to give these guys credit, man. It is an, it's an amazing thing what Tesla does. And I think we've all maybe just there's a fatigue of like they do so much awesome stuff all the time that we don't. But let's give them credit. This might be one of the, the world's most challenging engineering problems that they're facing and they're solving. And I don't know about you, but I don't see video from anybody else or cars on the road from any other company <laughs> uh, showing some of this stuff. And we know there's other approaches like Waymo and stuff, but what Tesla is doing is absolutely cutting edge and amazing. I'm always floored when I see the upgrades and I'm, I'm with you there. They have an incredible UI team. I mean, think about We don't have any reference or basis to judge it on. I always say like a lot of apps copy each other and kind of all kind of look very similar, but the blurry lines and like the dreamy look and like the, the visualization, they've come up with all that. There's really, there's nothing in place for them to like copy. And I love it. I think it's so cool. The visualization really, I think is what will give people uh, a sense of relief or assuredness when they don't trust, you know, because it takes trust to like trust a car to drive itself. We as yeah. people, it'll take, and the younger you are, the the easier that is to do, and the older you are, probably you're gonna have to really have the car prove itself. It, this to me is so amazing. I think there's still some challenges, there's some issues. I think we're gonna cut into more video coming coming up, yep. but unbelievably amazing. And I'm not gonna lie, when the when the FSD subscription rolls around. I think I'm ready to jump on board. You're jumping in. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Incredible stuff. We should also kind of touch base. Now, I don't know if you want to do that now or later. The big changes, they've gotten rid of radar entirely. And mm -hmm. their rationale for this is, first of all, it's extra compute load. And also what they were saying in recent talks is that it was in disagreement with their camera systems at times. And that radar really, historically, radar has been used for long range stuff. Like there's an aircraft at 300 miles, right? Not there's a car at 30 meters like the radar is a little more of a we'll call it a blurrier system in that way so 
the the move to get rid of radar, I think, will be controversial potentially because I think people do like the idea of redundancy. But in terms of like their pure computer vision, look at what they're able to do. It's pretty uh, spectacular stuff. Yeah, it's it's the, the, what Raj is about to walk us through right now. He's going to go on a drive, and some of what you're talking about is coming up right now. Let's go. All right, so getting on the road, just gonna go ahead and initiate it. So you'll see it's initiated. Uh, now you'll see the in the middle, there's not a median, but it's a turning lane. And that's highlighted here in yellow. You'll also notice the red is essentially indicating that's the edge, that's the do not enter area of the road for the car, but drive-ins are indicated, so you can see. You can also see that where the vehicle is going to go. You can see it guiding. Um, it does seem to get a little close to those, uh, you know, uh, pieces over there on the right side of the, of the street, um, but it did just fine. You'll see now medians are highlighted as purple as a do not area, do not go zone, whereas turn-ins are indicated as yellow. So you'll see here it's going, oh, it was going to change lanes, but it continued going straight, so that's good. But it gives me a whole lot of visibility, and you'll see here is a caution lights. The vehicle did not sudden brake, did not slow down, so that's really good as well. Um, and overall, I've been pretty impressed with the turns and the confidence uh, in some of its maneuvers. Now, is that to say it's perfect? No. So here we go. It was tried to get into the left-left turning lane, saw that there were cones, and veered back over to this lane. So that's pretty amazing. It was not horrible. Yeah, it, it could have stayed in this lane, um, but it wanted to go into the left turning lane, and but it saw the cones and it moved back over. Uh, so in a lot of instances, it's making maneuvers uh, and turns a lot more confidently and a lot more smoother. Um, but then there are certain circumstances where it's being very cautious. And for me personally, um, I've seen instances where it was better with radar. Um, and now I'm seeing, sensing a little bit more caution on some maneuvers where it's taking a little bit longer. So I think if this being the beta, the first version of this beta vision-based system, um, you know, it's kind of like a reset. And so now we have to kind of build back up all the data that's going to come in. So now you'll see here, it's going extremely slow to make it to the light. I don't even know if it's going to make it, uh, but it gets there. It's going extremely slow, but it, it's almost like it's appearing to me like it's taking in a lot of data and it's analyzing it all in real time, which is very hard to do. Um, and it's a lot of information. And I think as Tesla figures this out, as Tesla sees the information that we're giving back to it, it's going to start interpreting those things. And the computer is going to be able to know and better identify situations and scenarios and be able to action them quicker than what it's doing on this beta v1 um i feel like this is just a step backwards in a new uh new way of doing things in an all vision based system yeah i think he hit hit the nail on the head right there it's like this is kind of a reset so even though it might be slightly worse in some cases than the previous radar based version it's going to catch up and then hopefully pass it based on what they're currently doing um but i love how much of a teenage driver like a first time driver it felt coming out of that uh intersection because it was going so slow like am i doing this right it was like it looked like it was second guessing itself and being very very cautious and going through that intersection which obviously is not something you'd want it to do on a regular basis but for something that's a beta and right now it's in the state it's in it's kind of still kind of impressive what it's able to do and you gotta remember there were like traffic cones which to me signifies be on alert drive a little slower, who knows what's going on or what kind of 
what kind of things might await you on the road. And the car, I mean, was it factoring that into play? If there was a turn without those cones, would it have been more confident? Right. I mean, that's pretty wildly uh, brilliant stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if in the presence of a lot of traffic cones that the, it's programmed to like, why don't you just slow down a little bit more, be more be more uh, assured, which might annoy the drivers behind you and stuff. But for yeah. a self-driving car learning, to your point about the teenage driver, that's kind of what we've got. I mean, this is a machine learning model based approach, which means it literally is learning every mile it's driving, it's going to get smarter. So in a lot of ways, that might be the perfect analogy is yeah. beta nine is kind of like a teenage driver learning the ropes um, early on, which, which is cool. Somebody mentioned about the camera in the cabin, and the potential for privacy, like if you've got a laptop, I don't know about you, but do you have a, a, a cover that covers the, the webcam on your camera unless you're using it? Not me. My wife does not her, her and hers, but not me. Yeah, I, I historically have as well. My current laptop, I don't have one. I just didn't have one to put on it. But typically, I, I did as well. And people kind of mentioned, you got a camera that's watching you in your car now. Are there any kind of issues there? And what if you make a Tesla car camera cover, which you leave it covered unless you're self-driving, in which case you open it up or something? Just, right. it's a, these are the questions that we have now about cameras and cars and yeah. cars that drive themselves. What a, what a world we live in, right? Do yep. we have another clip? Yeah, we do. What's really cool is I can zoom out and you can see just how much. There's a parking lot over here on the right. It's seeing all those cars. It's seeing all the cars in front of me, cars in the opposing lanes. Um, so the vision is actually quite impressive based on what it can see. Now, how it can see that, I have no idea. <laughs> it's shocking because the cameras are not up that high. How it sees a car that's all the way over there without radar, I don't know, but I'm not a vision or radar expert. Whatever it is, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's kind of trippy. That 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 clip for me was the trippy part is I've been in a Waymo taxi and it's using LiDAR, it's using radar, it's using vision. And so the fact that it can see these cars all over the place and the little visualizations they show, which is very different from this, it does the same, it does a good job at conveying trust to me as the passenger, like the way Waymo does it. It's like, I never had doubt, okay, the car's got my back, it knows what it's doing. I'm not worried about it because it was conveying everything it was seeing and doing. And this is doing the same thing, but I don't know how they're pulling off some of their tricks because it's like how you, you can't, is it, because like we as humans, we see the car off in the distance, but then it gets obscured, like playing, you know, peekaboo with a kid. It's out of sight, but we know intuitively it's still there. And so when it shows up again, it's not a surprise to us. It seems like the car is doing a little bit of that. It's really trippy to me. Yeah. So first the, there's three cameras looking forward and they're mounted higher than our eyes typically would be, right? This is a kind of at the top of the car, like at the top of the windshield. So a little bit of a better vantage point. That doesn't fully explain it, though, uh, for sure, especially because if you're behind a big SUV, you as a driver, as a human, you couldn't see anything beyond that. The, the next part I think that they're taking advantage of is they have a three-camera array, and they have different focal lengths. So one, I think, is like a fisheye. It's very wide, and that might be how they're able to look at things kind of, you know, the fisheye does have a lot of, like, distortion and stuff. There's ways you can, like, encode, like, uh, correct for it. But that might be how they are able to detect things around things and, and to see yeah. the bigger picture. And then from there, they can say, okay, we're going to, we know something's there from the really wide camera. We've got the middle and the uh, the shorter focal length cameras. And from there, like stitch together an image of what we have. But it's really incredible. It really feels <laughs> like there's a drone overhead taking a picture of what's coming up. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're a Curb Your Enthusiasm fan, but it, it, it's the invention. Oh, you know, you mentioned you're not. <laughs> Larry, <laughs> there's an episode where Larry is investing in a guy who has this periscope for your car so you can look out and, <laughs> and, and figure out where the traffic is. It's like a straight up Seinfeld episode. It's, it's really, it's a great episode. But it kind of feels like that. There's there's some magic trickery going on. It's incredible. I wonder, too, the, the views from the front are incredible, even out to the right, like road turns and, and stuff. And even from even behind you and around you, I wonder if there's any kind of fidelity differential. If you have three cameras in front, I'd imagine there's probably a cone in front of you where you have the best resolution and you can detect yep. the most stuff. Um, also, I think ditching radar means they've got all the compute power available just for the cameras, and they're able to draw boxes and track more objects uh, clearly. Uh, we've never seen this many cars on the road um, in our visualization, so they're doing some pretty amazing stuff. There's going to be some kind of intuition going on in the model, too, because, like like I said, when a car's not in view, it's still, it knows it's there, and so it's probably just intuiting it was moving at 20 miles an hour at this rate, so if it's continuing that speed, it's going right here, and so when it pops into view again, it can then update in real time of like, okay, now we see it again. So it's like, I'm guessing that's kind of what's going on, is it's using calculations to determine probabilities that this car is still there, I can't see it, but it's moving X speed. So it's to me, it's just mind-blowing, the amount of calculations and the things it's having to kind of keep track of. It, it appears to be tracking, we probably saw on Tesla's uh, Roger's screen, at least 20, if not more cars. Yes. So yeah. it's one thing to, to say, okay, there's a car here and we'll keep updating its position every frame. That's one thing. But what, what you're describing where you're predictively, like, where you expect it to be and running that sort of a prediction on all these different targets, incredible levels of, of compute power. It's really fascinating and amazing stuff. But... Um, it, it's not perfect, which is actually the next clip I would I want to show, which is, right. let's see it. So far, my tests, there have been good examples and bad examples, examples where it just takes a little bit longer and I need to hit the accelerator or I need to take over. And then good examples where I'm just like, wow, that was really smooth and not as jerky. So I have yet to intervene with this uh, motion, but you'll see here there's a split in the road. Um, it is veering to the right, which is actually um, <laughs> not the right way. Oops. Uh, so it may go over here and then make a left. Uh, I don't really know, but it should have gone towards the left. I'm going to submit that for feedback, um, but that's fine. We're going to go up ahead here and we're going to see just what this it's completely going off the path. Now you can see and it's rerouted me and it's fine. I've not been put in any danger, but, you know, these are just all learning things here. So hopefully that kind of gave you a little bit of an example of uh, kind of what we're experiencing here. But most of the stuff, it's, it's driving pretty well. Just a lot of learning to do. Think about a 16-year-old who just got their learner's <laughs> permit. So, Yep. Yeah, I just, I just like that example because it shows it's not perfect. It's, it's still very beta. It's not making necessarily the right decisions. And I was kind of surprised it made that mistake because it's got the map. It knows where it's supposed to go. And it completely misinterpreted how the road was splitting and it looked like an odd intersection too so it's like there's clearly really edge, there's edge cases here that it's it's going to fumble its way through but it's not necessarily going to be dangerous i think they they pretty much have the freeway autopilot which is what i just have the basic what came comes for free the freeways are perfect i, I i've driven like thousands of freeway miles where the car just does the thing you see how much more complicated driving in a city is there's just a bajillion different variables 
Um, and even like city by city or state by state, people do things differently. Like the clover on ramps are different in Texas. I, I remember um, New Jersey, they have like those service roads where you have your main road and you got to exit the service road to then take the. That's bizarre. It's a weird thing. Um, everybody has their own little things. California round roundabouts here roundabouts. in Massachusetts. I would yeah. never trust that thing in a roundabout <laughs> right now. Those things are a little too wild and crazy here. So it's like I. Tesla needs to get Matt an uh, uh, invitation to the beta so you can start yeah. doing roundabout data and, and submit yeah. feedback. Because that's, you're right, that's a tough one to, to figure out as well. But again, it's progress. And I think that's the key. Um, I think what I've always said about Tesla and FSD is it's about expectations. We should not be, like on Twitter, everybody gets mad when they uh, they blow a deadline or they say that we'll have an update and then they don't and stuff. I think everybody should appreciate the fact that we have a company solving one of the great challenges of our time and the benefits of this thing. You know, in my last video that I made, there was an elder gentleman who said, I can't operate a car anymore. But if I had a, t a Tesla with FSD, I could just hop in um, and be taken around and, and have my independence back. I'm thinking about the benefits of, of what this is going to do. But we have to take a step back and remember, this will take time. It's not an easy problem to solve. And if we put our expectations in place, I think we can approach every new update of this thing with the right lens, you know, does that make sense? I, I feel like people are getting way ahead of themselves and I think we need to take a deep breath and remember that this with, is going to take time. I agree with you completely on that. But let's give Raj the final word here. So just to wrap up here, guys, I mean, what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing, you know, there's, there's pros and there's cons and there's challenges and then there's, that's what we beta testers are here for is to submit that feedback, get the Tesla system working. No one ever said driving a car autonomously is going to be easy. In fact, Elon actually addressed that and said it's very hard. But when you look at the grand scheme of things of what everyone is doing, what all auto manufacturers are doing, no one's even at this level today that's a consumer level product that you can go out on the shelf and buy. Tesla's way, way ahead. Will Is it perfect yet? Is beta rolled out to everyone? No, but that's okay. You got to start somewhere. And I think where they're at right now is very, very impressive. There's still a lot more learning to do, a lot more training to do, a lot more perfection to do in edge cases. Oh my God, I can't imagine. But I think Tesla will get there. But hopefully this was a, a good envision for you guys to understand about FSD 9 and what is kind of come out as this first version. Um, but yeah, curious to know what you guys think about um, everything that you saw here and everything that you guys know about vision and radar and all of that. All right, guys, hopefully you guys are doing good. And I'll speak to you guys soon. Later. So I got to give a big thank you to Raj for doing that all for You're us. It was awesome. So thank you very much, Raj. Go check out his channel if you haven't. It's one thing to ask for like, hey, could you take a little video? And then it's another <laughs> thing to give us the, like that pretty much, that gives you a pretty good five or eight minute look at the nature of where they are with this thing. So thank you, Raj. And I mentioned his channel is Tesla Raj. If if you want to know anything about Teslas and and all the he gets invitations to all the all the events and he's well connected. Uh, check out his channel and and stay apprised of all the latest on Tesla. Absolutely. The next story. Speaking of Tesla and their much beloved CEO. So the next one is about Elon Musk. And there's been this rumor that he is living in a in a tiny fifty thousand dollar house made by a company called Boxable near uh near near boca chica you know in, in texas i actually had a chance to meet with boxable and i asked them this question and they gave me an answer they said no comment that was uh very enlightening <laughs> <laughs> not surprised but um but i will say it, it is very in, in keeping with 
Elon's character. He sold his mansion and he lives in this little trailer box. I mean, the guy is driven by all the right things. His level of success, uh, to me, what makes him different is he just he cares about all this stuff so much. Like he really, it's not about how can I make get mine and uh, get an exit, which which is which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But he deeply cares, and clearly that's why he's so beloved. But if we scroll down, this is a look. Let me see if I have a video. I have a video of it. This is a look at the the concept, and what's really interesting. And there's been a lot of memes about this on the internet. But imagine if you bought a car. Like imagine if you bought a Tesla, and a couple of guys showed up with like hammers and sheet metal, and they're like, "All right, we're gonna get get cracking on building you this car," and started banging on stuff. It'd be bizarre, right? Everything else in our life is built in a factory, except our housing. And clearly, it shows in the pricing. Like building a house is wildly expensive. It's one-off. It's unique and bespoke. You got to have all these random, different types of workers coming in. You can't really automate much of it. And drywall. If you, anyone who's ever done drywall, it is it is really manual and very labor-intensive. This is Boxable's approach. This here is how they ship. What's brilliant about what Boxable is doing. This is a company based out of Las Vegas. I'll have a video on them maybe next week if I can finish it, which will go really in depth. But all of this is pre-manufactured. The, the walls don't have wood. It's like a composite layup. It's very it's stronger than lumber. And for that reason, it's really well insulated. And what they do is they basically say, look, let's take one dimension and make this whole house collapse. That way we can fit it on a normal trailer. We don't need special clearance or permits. We can transport these very, very easily. And this length parameter, well, that could be increased. They go 20 by 20, they can go 20 by 40, 20 by 60, and they can get pretty, pretty large. And they fit together as well, which is, which is interesting. It's, it's, it's very um, modular and it's all pre-constructed, meaning all they do is unfold it, hinges open up, the house unfolds, if you will, uh, you can kind of see this, the roof, you know, the folds where the folds happen. It's kind of like in this, that's one of the seams right there. And there's a hinge probably close to here that folds it all in. Uh, incredibly cool concept. And I really think this probably is the future of housing. And what it does is it allows you to build these houses in factories. And they could buy these, like, for example, this countertop, they can buy them by the thousands instead of having everything individually me measured and late. That's what makes housing that's like if you anybody who owns a house, if you've remodeled your bathroom or something, the reason why it's so expensive is because it's a one-off. Your bathroom is different than anybody else's. Your countertop is a little bit different or your shower requirements and stuff. But if you could do it this way, it really helps. And so this is what it looks like when it unfolds. And there's there's that hinge I mentioned. Really cool company. Galliano is one of the founders, him and his father and chief engineer Kyle. Again, I'll have all this in my video shortly. But uh, super cool company to keep an eye on. And I really think this could be one of those really emerging ways of building houses. And I think Mr. Farrell's actually even covered yes. modular houses on his channel. We should put a link to that um, somewhere. But yep, he did it recently. Yeah, I did a whole deep dive on modular homes, not boxable specifically, but how prefabricated homes just make more sense because they can, there's less waste during construction because they can so tailor what they need to do and cut lumber, not just for one project, but between projects. So the scrap can lean over to the next project because they can plan everything out in a CAD system and they know exactly what cuts they have to do and how to fit, fit it into all the, the stuff they need to build. So it's there's so much potential around manufactured homes. The challenge is 
getting it to the site. So Boxable's approach of this folding collapsible system to a trailer is really interesting because typically a modular home, it still fits on trailers, but it might be a wide load and you need extra trucks and things that can take it to a facility, which adds costs for shipping. So it's going to be interesting to see how Boxable rolls out because the one caveat I would say to them is site prep is not cheap. <laughs> so the house may be $50,000. But depending on where you're putting it, it still could cost you between five and $50,000 to place it. So the house may actually end up costing you a hundred grand by the time all is said and done, depending on where you're trying to put it and how far you're shipping from Las Vegas. There's all these kind of unknowns, but it's still a very, very cool system. That's, it's gonna be interesting to see how they roll it out so that you could build bigger homes and how they can kind of fit together. So it's not just one 300 square foot room. Maybe it's a series of them that you put together and then you have a 1500 square foot house. It's gonna be interesting to see how they evolve over time. Yeah. So we can just talk about a couple of those points. You make a couple of really good points. First, they have, they use like an I-beam construction in the floor. And, and so as a result, each unit can be completely held up just from the corners. You don't need any central support. So that's what allows them to be stacked up. You can put, I think, three of these. You can make a three-story house out of these um, vertically. And you can start with the main casita, which is like their small house. It has a little kitchen, a, one bathroom, and a little living area. And then in the future, you can say, you know what? Uh, times are good. I need a YouTube studio and add on to it, like Lego blocks. And they can deliver a add-on room. And then you open up this little portal and it's a door. And now you have a room on this side uh, over here. You know, for your mad uh, evil scientist lair at your building, <laughs> imagine being able to just slowly over time as your needs change, you could, you know, you could, you could add on to it. That, I mean, all that kind of stuff is, is pretty fascinating. To your point about site prep, uh, very good point. They plumb in terms of water, plumbing and sewer, very, in a very standardized way. You, you don't have to have any kind of foundation or, or um, any speci special kind of foundation. You, uh, the sewer comes out the side on one of the walls. You can go into a septic or to your sewer, whatever the case might be. You can add solar to the roof. You could integrate it in unique ways. There's a lot of opportunities, but their their real goal is you don't need any tools to unfold this thing. They, it unfolds, and when the roof comes down, you got a house. There's no the kitchen's inside already. The bathroom is already in there. There's a lot of these pre-constructed homes are kind of shells. You have to then go hire a yep. plumber and all this kind of stuff. This is different, and. And I think it's it's kind of fascinating for that reason. Yeah, I, they're, they're going to have little challenges, but I really think we're looking at the future of how homes should be built. And I'll get more into the details on my video, but even like the walls, when you build something in a factory with a special process, the end result isn't a compromise. There's probably a little bit of a stigma on modular homes. People they think, won. oh, it's a modular house. That's not. But you got to remember that the value of your house is not the house. It's the land. Your, your house is falling apart every day. It's getting older and, you know, but it's the land. And this is not that different. And potentially a modular house, especially built this way with their design, could maybe even be better and longer lasting, better insulated, better ready for, you know, for cold weather or hot weather than a typical house. So very, very exciting story. I love this one. And I know you do too. Yes. There's something about this that I just find it wildly fascinating. And by the way, I want to give a very big shout out to Dusty Green. He uses his wife's account. He's Katie Green here in the comment section. But Dusty got in touch with Boxable and, and hooked up, hooked up, hooked us up together to get an invitation out there. So thank you, Dusty, for all you do, man. You're a huge part of our community and we, we appreciate you. A big yes to that. 
All right, so the next story is Richard Branson and Virgin Galactic have completed their first successful space flight. It's this whole story that's being spouted by the media of the billionaire race to space and all that kind of stuff, which I think is such a tired <laughs> way to look at this. It's such a, I don't know, I just I just hate that explanation behind all this. Um, this is such a milestone because it's this is the... This is not going to be the future of getting satellites into space. This is space tourism is what he's been chasing. And so this is it. They go 50 miles up. The whole trip is like under an hour to do the whole thing. You're only in space for like three to five minutes. And some people even argue that's technically not space. It's like right at the edge of space. But come on, it's it's close enough that when you look out the window and you can see the entire planet and you're having this moment of weightlessness, it gives you a sense of perspective on the planet that you can't get anywhere else. And the fact that Richard Branson is 70 years old. It's like the fact a 70-year-old man whose lifelong ambition was to do this, pulled it off. It's really an inspiring story. And I can't believe that it's happening in my lifetime because I would, I would, if somebody offered me a flight on that, there'd be no hesitation. I would be saying a big hell yes. <laughs> what about you? I'm I'm 100% with you. I think a lot of the stories have been totally unfair. What what people don't realize is if Virgin Galactic offers space tourism and people who have the money to do this early on it's not going to be cheap, fine. And and they people spend money to do this. That money goes into R&D for them to do future stuff, right? Tesla's cars were expensive early on, but if you bought one, you were literally funding the company that is now solving self-driving, right? That's kind of how it goes. Um, everything starts off expensive and I, I hate the headline that this is some sort of a, and now the rich can do blank. I, that's just, it's missing the point entirely. These kinds of endeavors are wildly expensive and we should embrace the fact that for the first time in history, we have public, like, sorry, we have private companies that are actually tackling it. And that's incredible. That, that was never the case before. And the only way a private company can tackle a problem like this is by making money and they have to make money, right? Don't be, I mean, don't you think that in our lifetimes, possibly like when we're 70, <laughs> you know, late our lifetimes, this might be a pretty economic thing. It might be like, hey, surprise, honey, I, I bought us a, a trip to space for the weekend or something. That that could very well be a possibility. Also, one thing that they're doing that I think is going to be really important going forward is this idea that you, you strap a rocket to like a big air, aircraft and then you only launch the rocket at 35,000 feet or something. These sorts of, maybe that's something we need to look into. And the more they invest in this and they figure out like heavy lift aircraft and maybe the the emissions or the amount of rocket fuel you need is reduced by this, this amount, it allows us to launch more frequently. Whatever the case is, we're so early on that anybody doing this, by the way, we'll probably cover this in a couple of weeks, but when Jeff Bezos is trying to do this with Blue Origin, yeah. now we have three big companies that are doing this. Um, everybody's going to win. It's going to be a matter of time and great breakthroughs will eventually emerge that we can all benefit from. And eventually the prices will come down. This is a good story. It really is. And I, I yes, think we should, we shouldn't be thinking of it as, as a, a toy for the rich kind of a thing. Exactly. I agree. So the last one is about the Tesla solar roof versus hail. Yeah. This was, this is a, yeah, this is a fun one that we've both covered in the past. And the company that I worked with, Good Faith Energy, uh, shout out to those guys uh, for all the for the access for our video. Uh, they're in, in Texas. So if you live in Texas and you're thinking about getting a Tesla solar roof, Good Faith Energy is one of the first. I think they were the first to, to offer this service. 
from Tesla. You should definitely check it out. But they put out this video because they had a hailstorm <laughs> where they had baseball-sized hail come down. And this particular gentleman had a solar roof. He heard the hail storm happen, and he figured, here, here's, a, here's a clip of, uh, maybe I'll play the audio. L listen, <laughs> you could kind of listen to how it, it completely damaged his pergola and other various structures. Massive two-inch hail could do that. Yeah, look at that one. But he came out thinking, oh, no, my roof is going to be broken glass and in shambles. He came out and checked it out, and his other stuff might have been, look at, look at this. <laughs> yeah, the, all unreal. the damage, and the roof is fine. <laughs> the roof was fine, not even a single yeah. broken tile. So when they talk about hail ratings and being ready for this stuff, they're not messing around. Uh, this is a really promising look because, you know, it's not a cheap roof. But if you invest and do this, you want to make sure that, that it will last and this is a really nice look. So thank you, Good Faith Energy, for sharing this with me. One of our friends uh, that we met at Fully Charged, named Clayton, who works for them, reached out and shared this with me, and I thought this would be cool to, to show. But anybody who's wondering about the elements and lives somewhere that's not California, I always get that comment. Um, I think you'll be in good shape. On top of which, if a towel had gotten damaged, the way this snaps together like Lego blocks, it's much easier to rep take some out and replace them than it would be for shingle tiles. So even if there was damage, it's going to be easier to repair than a traditional roof. So it's kind of like, it's stronger than you might think, and it's easier to repair than you might think. It's it's a pretty impressive product. Agreed. Definitely. Thank you, Tesla Raj, again, for sharing all those insights. It was fantastic. We'll put links to that. And uh, thank you guys as always. We appreciate you. Yeah. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Hit the notification bell so you don't miss an episode. We're live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can always listen to the podcast version on the go by going to viceversa.show. And as always, thanks to all of you for watching. We'll see you in the next one.